All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I like to turn turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 320 points or nine-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last last week was down about 14 points or three-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 42 points, or three-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 1.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 2.2%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 4.8%. So, second week of the new year, just another churning week for Wall Street. it seems over the past two weeks, and as we said on last weekend's Money Wise program, and as we've said to clients that we've talked to going back to December and November, that for 2022, it's going to be a much more volatile year. And the first two weeks of 2022 have definitely lived up to that billing with what, what it seems to me is this daily rotation in and out of different types of industrial sectors. You know, on Friday, it looked like a lot of the housing stocks, you know, whether it was a floor and decor or a Home Depot or a Williams-Sonoma, uh, home builder stocks, they seemed to be out of favor on Friday. The day before, it could have been a different industry. We also saw financials also taking it on the chin on Friday as well as some disappointing bank earnings came out, particularly from J.P. Morgan Chase on Friday. And so we've just seen the first two weeks of 2022, just these, this barrage of rotation in and out over the last two weeks and have added volatility to the market. And, but one thing I will tell you, not to get too technical for our listeners, but if you look at the NASDAQ from a 200-day moving average standpoint on its price, it seems that that 200-day line is the line in the sand because we saw the NASDAQ bounce back from its 200-day moving average on Wednesday after it crossed below it. And then on Friday, it touched its 200-day moving average. And then we saw buying coming into technology towards the very end of the day on Friday. So it seems that that 200-day line from a technical standpoint of the NASDAQ has been that line in the sand 
that it has dipped below this past week, but closed above it, touched it on Friday, closed above it. Well, do you think some of that could be just buying and algos coming in and buying at that particular level? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's just this barrage of rotation that we've seen. And we could still be seeing profit taking, even though we're now a full two trading weeks into 2022, as we discussed on last weekend's show, when you're a mutual fund manager and you're managing a multi, multi, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty billion dollar size fund, and you have sizable profits, and you want to take those profits because your port, you know, your your mutual fund, your portfolio might have a five, seven, eight percent position in say Microsoft. Well, that position is so large, you can't unwind it in one day. So you have to sell it off in pieces over the course of time if you're lightening the load, maybe not completely getting out of the position, but taking profits. Now, of course, at Davidson Capital Management, you know, we're a speedboat when it comes to be able to actively manage our client assets. And so when we want to make a change in the portfolio, we make it right then and there. And as we talked uh, on last weekend show on January the 3rd on Monday, we rebalanced our entire portfolio across the board, whether it's individual stock and bond or our asset builder clients, we rebalanced it all, all in the same day. And so speed of mobility is something that you have to think about as an investor. You know, it's much easier because the markets can change in a blink of an eye. And if you're on a super tanker, you can't exactly change course in your portfolio if that's where your assets are invested in a super tanker type fund where they can't actively manage it as quickly as we can, where we consider ourselves more of a speed bump. So the last 10 days, uh, I've just, you know, I've, I've said this before. We've all said this before. We may have some new listeners to the show uh, here this first time. Traders going to trade. And there, there isn't. Is that I mean, an homage you, to Taylor get, Swift? Yeah, traders are going to trade like yeah. haters are going to hate. On Friday, I believe at one time, the Dow was down over 400 points. It was. And, and we ended up closing on Friday, I think, down only 200. I, we may have gotten near zero at one time during the day. I, I honestly can't remember exactly how close we got to zero on the Dow. And the NASDAQ and the S&P went positive and negative a number of times. And so what, is that, what does that tell, tell me? What, what should that tell our listeners? There's just a lot of trading going on. And I, I don't know that you can really glean anything from, from a long-term investing view on what's happened in the first 10 trading days of the year of the year following three straight years of double digit returns. I am hearing from more and more and more and more people that manage money or that are associated with folks that manage money, either from a research point of view uh, that the, 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 the drumbeat of the market is fully valued. Some parts of the market are overvalued and are, and are primed for a more substantial correction. I'm hearing more and more and more of that talk. Has it really been reflected in the indices to date? Well, not really. I mean, the S&P down 2.2% for the year. I, I'm not exactly sure how far we are down from the highs, which were, I believe, uh, you know, in and around the last last week of 2021, uh, but we were nowhere near a, you know, even a minimal 10% correction and obviously nowhere near, you know, a, a 20% type correction, which we haven't had in a number of years. Uh, so f- f- I think there's still a lot of advisors that are re- 
repositioning their portfolio. They're doing it in stages. We chose to do it all at once, you know, all, all at the same time, basically on the, on the first trading day of the year. And so you really can't, I can't get too wound up that, that uh, all of 2022 is going to be uh, bad because we've had the first two weeks uh, in, in the market where the indices just can't seem to make up their mind, which way they want to go one day or the other. I mean, we're Jeff, we're, we're, well, I guess we got to take our first commercial break. So let's do that. And we'll come, we'll pick up on that, that on the other side, you're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast or Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to leave your comments and like the show. So I was just getting ready to make a point before we got cut off by the commercial breaks. So if you're just tuning into this uh, weekend's Money Wise program, we were just talking about the markets, continued volatility. Now in our second, you know, the conclusion of the second full trading week of 2022. And Jeff, you're asking the question, the S&P 500 is just under three, is, is just above a 3% pullback from its all-time highs that we reached last year. Now the NASDAQ, on the other hand, we were right around a normalized, what's considered a quote-unquote normal correction from the NASDAQ's November 19th highs, which was the point in time where the NASDAQ was bumping up to its all-time highs. So we're roughly right around that traditional 10% corrective move in the NASDAQ. But as we come into the new year, when you have technology continuing to perform well last year as it did in 2020, there's profits that need to be taken. And that's, again, one thing that we did on January 3rd is we took profit in the tech names that we do have. But when you look at our overall portfolios, we are still underweighted technology as an industrial sector when you look at the S&P versus the S&P 500. So you know, tr- looking, you know, here heading into the next week, uh, earnings have, are going to start to begin. Uh, last week, we had some bank earnings on Friday that got some hand-wringing going. I think J.P. Morgan reported yeah, uh, Citigroup, I believe may have also reported uh, Wells Fargo, I think also uh, reported and it, they were mixed. Uh, but one of the themes that I, I, I definitely picked up on was costs, you know, costs going up. And for those organizations, not about supply chains. It's not about uh, raw material input costs. It's about people. It's people mm-hmm. costs, labor costs, labor Wages. costs. So, you know, wages going up uh, in those organizations is going to affect uh, their, the, the expense side. And if the revenues aren't there to offset those increased expenses, then uh, there's some question about uh, profitability. And, and so the banks have been getting bought here. Banks have been getting bought on anticipation of higher interest rates, which we can all agree is going to happen in 2022, barring some 
craziness that hasn't occurred. Uh, and then they're when they go right in and sell them on Friday. Traders going to trade just because a little bad you know? news in JP Morgan, right? Morgan. And those some of those stocks that you had mentioned uh, in the first segment, Kyle. You mentioned Sherwin Williams. You mentioned Florin Decor, Home Depot. Uh, Home Depot. Home Depot. We, we own. We, we have Sherwin Williams. You know, Sherwin Williams was about uh, having trouble with supply chains. And mm-hmm. not a and, and I was not demand demand demand's not the a, issue. I was in a Sherwin Williams store last week, uh, last weekend picking up some paint. I found the only gallon in town of this particular paint that I needed, and I had to go out to Flower Bluff to get it because the Everhart store didn't have it. And I was is asking, that hot, was that hot pink or what? What color? Was yeah, that's <laughs> no hot pink. Wow, that no, some color in there. It was not. And I was asking the manager because I looked around her store and I saw a lot of bare shelves, you know, where there should be paintbrushes and other things. And she said, yeah, yeah, we're having trouble getting a hold of certain items. So I'm not surprised uh, that that was mentioned uh, by sure. I, I, I believe this was a pre-announced, but I don't think that they actually announced earnings, but you have to correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle. And, and, the, and the stock was down, but so were the, the, some of these other stocks in, uh, I think in sympathy, because you know, these, these stocks, these stocks are involved, these, they're in ETFs and there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of investing in, 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 in industry specific exchange traded funds. Like you can buy, uh, you could probably buy an exchange traded fund out there that focuses on home building stocks or, or XHB stocks, you know, <laughs> stocks, stocks that supply the home building industry. And so mm-hmm. you get, you'll have, you'll have a floor and decor. You'll have a, a, a Sherwin Williams in there among other things. And if one of them reports, you know, uh, some, some difficulty in their earnings announcement, you can they're gonna, the they'll, they'll go in there and they'll sell the entire sector and all these stocks get affected even before their earnings come out, you know, which are going to start happening here in the next few weeks. So but the question is these tech names, these tech names, because the, the, as you had, as you said at the beginning of the segment call, it's the NASDAQ is the furthest off its high, which was set sometime in November, if my memory serves me correctly. November 19th. So we, we're now almost two months since the high in the NASDAQ, and we're approaching that 10% uh, where they you know, call it a correction. And what happens if we get, get some earnings news from some of these tech names and we get some guidance uh, that's favorable? Then you're going to see money just surge back in. And here, what am I going to say? Traders going to trade. You know, these but, traders but, but, that are short, these traders that sold it, they're going to rush right back into it again. But but one thing I do want to mention, some differences between someone like a Sherman Williams. Because, see, the whole issue with this inflation that we're dealing with and we're wrestling with, it's not a demand issue. The demand is good. It's the supply side. So someone like Sherman Williams that is so, just using them as an example, that is so reliant on supply, they need the supply to meet the demand to make the bottom line, to have the income to, to create profit and to create value for shareholders. But some of these tech names that have been taken out to the woodshed, they don't need to deal with supply, especially if you're looking at a company like a Salesforce, CRM is the symbol, which we own in our portfolio. They don't need supply because they're assessed. They're, they're software as a service. So they don't really have a supply issue. Now, someone like an NVIDIA who actually makes a physical product, a chip, they do, and they are going to have constraints from the supply chain issues that we've been dealing with now going on almost a year due to COVID. So if you look at some of these tech names that, don't, that aren't going to be affected by supply chain, 
you know, with this kind of pullback, this might be an opportunity to start slowly incremental, incrementally adding these positions to a portfolio where supply chain is taken out of the picture. But again, if you look at someone like a Sherman Williams or a Florin Decor or a Williams Sonoma, these housing type names, even a home builder like MCD or Pulte, you've got issues with supply chain, which is going to negatively impact their bottom line until we get past this latest variant of, of, of COVID. And until we all start as a, as a world, start learning to live, unfortunately, with COVID, because it's not going away anytime soon. We're going to have to learn to live with it. Each person is going to have to take their own personal responsibility of what level of protection that they're going to have personally. But we're going to have to get used to living with it, unfortunately. Well, I think if you look at the markets and look at where are the opportunities and, and you know, multiple times this, this week we're talking about China and, you know, there's a city, I can't remember the name, with five million people. They had two Omicron uh, people that tested positive. They shut the entire city down. So well, do you believe it's only two? Yeah, you believe it's only <laughs> yeah. two. So, yeah. you know, from an investment perspective, and you look at supply chain, because obviously China makes a lot of parts and a lot of things, and they and they export a lot of, of, of goods. Kyle and I were talking about it earlier this week. With the Fed meeting and, and, and these planned rates, rate hikes, maybe two, th- three, now they're saying maybe four. Well, the X factor in that is if they get the supply chain figured out, what is that going to do to their game plan on raising rates? I think that's... Well, we and, and we're and we're going to talk more about that in the next segment yeah. because there was a great article that really talks about the supply chain and the Fed and the Fed policy, and it's too much to go into before the bottom of the hour. So we'll have to pick up that topic on the other side of the break. But getting back to you know for this year, as we talked about, it's it's going to be Fed watch this year and markets responding to the Fed's monetary policy, how hawkish they're going to be. I know this past week. Here we go again, you know, Bullard, uh, you know, Fed governor, I swear, every time he opens up his mouth, you can just take 150 to 200 points off the Dow. And sure enough, it happened this past week. He came out and was talking more hawkish and the market was down the entire day. You can make more money just short the queues. I mean, just anytime Bullard opens his mouth, Fed governor Bullard opens his mouth. Like you said, Joe, that would be a perfect for a trader to go ahead and short the queue, short the Dow, short the SPY, and you'll make money for the day as long as you close your trade out at the end of the day. Because I swear when that man opens his mouth, the market reacts negative each and every time. And it did this past week. And I think he spoke on Wednesday. So, yeah. And then there was another Fed. I don't know if it was, a, it was – I think it might have been a governor. I don't know if it was a voting member that they were interviewing, I think, on CNBC. I don't remember the forum. And – he his position was that, that that he believed that he's penciled in at least three rate increases this year, maybe four. But what he also said was he did not believe that they should do the rate increases in conjunction with a uh, balance sheet reduction at the same time. Mm-hmm. That they that doing they it. They need separate. to do it by steps. Well, they should be. They need to do it by steps. They have to make it. Just let's first end the taper. Let's get the tapering done. Then let's see how things, where we are from an inflationary standpoint. Then do the first rate increase, see how the market responds to it. And I can say, and I'll pick up on this topic on the other side because I read an interesting article this past week of what the market does the first three months, but then the next 12 months after the first rate hike. So let's get to that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So I wanted to continue my thought if you're just tuning in from this for this weekend's Money Wise program, talking about some, again, markets reaction to some of the Fed governors, some voting, some non-voting this past week talking about the process of the Fed turning more hawkish. And as we said before we went to break, it has to go in in incremental steps. The first step is we've got to stop the bond buying, which we know is going to be ending in March, unless they speed up the pace of their taper, which right now it doesn't appear that they're going to be doing that. So the tape, so the, the, the bond buying quantitative easing is going to be ending in March. Then the next step will be to start raising interest rates. But again, I think the Fed is so data-driven and data-dependent, they're going to be doing it incrementally and also to see how the market reacts. And I know that there was some grumblings going on back and forth this past week that even though the Fed is not not supposed to be paying attention to the stock market, I think all the Fed governors, chairman of the Federal Reserve, they're going to be paying attention to what the stock market is doing. And... there, there's, there's, a lot, a there's a lot of run-up in wealth that, that they cannot discount. There's just that's, no way. That, people are not right. working right now because of what they've accumulated in the markets the last three years that are, you know, that some households don't have to have two income earners. And I, they, I hope they take that in consideration. Well, yeah. And, and I think that was one, those were some of the grumblings that were occurring this past week is that the Fed can't get too terribly aggressive at the pace of the rate increases and waiting for the data to come in, but also paying attention to how it's affecting the market. So they're, they're going to be very much aware of that. But I read it, an interesting article this past week out of MarketWatch where they had data that went back to 1962 to take a look at what the S&P 500 did, how it performed the first three months uh, after the first rate increase, and then what it did the 12 months following the first rate increase. Now, the first three months after the first rate increase since 1962 with 100% positive of this happening based on past history is that the market was down. The market was down, and if memory serves me correct, it was a little less than 3% for the three months after the first rate hike. But what was interesting is with almost 86% of that time the 12 months following the first rate increase, the market was positive. And the positive return of the market, the average was double digits. So take that with a grain of salt. Something else interesting is that the Russell 2000, which is the small cap stocks, it had a positive return 12 months after the first rate hike, almost 78% of the time, again, with double digit average return. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is I want all of our listeners to understand that the Fed turning to a more hawkish monetary policy and raising interest rates isn't a death nail to the stock market. 
the stock market can and will react negatively for a period of time and be volatile for a period of time as the Fed is increasing interest rates. But as we've said on past MoneyWise programs, if the Fed raised rates three times or four times this year, we're coming off of a zero Fed fund rate. So even if they increased it four times this year, and let's say they did it at a quarter of 1% at a time, we're at a 1% Fed fund rate at the end of the year. From a historical standpoint, if dad was on the program, he would laugh at that. Because I'm sure some of our listeners remember back in the early 80s when a 30-year treasury would pay you 12.5% interest. Granted, inflation was at double digits, but it was still 12.5% back in the early 80s. So we have to take those things into perspective. But the Fed is going to be very measured, and they will pay attention to how the market is going to react. Because when we're in a midterm election year, as much difficulties as the Democrats are having from a policy standpoint, the last thing they need is a recession or a 20-25% stock market correction going into the midterm election, because that would then absolutely be the death knell for any chances of them holding on to the House and possibly the Senate through the midterms. So are you advocating we need to have a 20, 25% decline just so the Democrats are completely out? Of- well, I think, I, I think, no, I did not say that. I mean, I think they're going to be no out anyways because, because really it comes, it comes down to policy. And when you see Biden's polls at a 33% approval rating, Kamala Harris, vice VP Harris at, at in the high twenties, I mean, their, their goose is cooked and it's about policy. And it's all about the policy. And when the average family is going to have to be spending upwards of $5,000 more this year to live because of inflation. Now, granted, a lot of this, again, primarily is driven because of the COVID virus. There is no playbook for this. There's been no money manager that's alive today that managed money through the Spanish flu. Here's the question. Here's the question. This this was my, my wife, Kim said this to me and and it's like oh well yeah you're probably you know and I, we may have said this to, to to our ourselves all these price increases that occurred in all these products you name it covid becomes more of a accepted occurrence in life like the flu you know six months down the road a year down the road covid becomes you know just the new flu you get it you're, you're home for, you know, you're home for a week, whatever you come back. We're not, you know, shutting down. We're not, we're not canceling 3000 flights and this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. uh, uh, every time of, you, know, you people get COVID these price increases that are occurring, COVID slows down, you know, things start to normalize, whatever that new normal is on the other side of all this, the supply chains open up, China starts, stops shutting down the entire country over two or three cases and produces again and, and things get back to quote unquote normal. You think they're going to, these prices are going to go down. I think the prices on all these items that have been raised, are they going to go down? I wonder. Well, if they don't, Jeff, then we're going to be going to stagflation. We're going to be going to stagflation back in the Jimmy Carter era where we have decreased demand with rising prices. So there has to become an equilibrium. And and here's the thing that really the policies that are coming out of Washington should be primarily focused on is supply chain and supply chain infrastructure and improving that. 
you know, Pete Buttigieg, where is he? I mean, to say that the guy is beyond his pay grade is an understatement of the century. Where is this guy? You know, what is what is the game plan coming out of Washington to improve our supply chain and supply chain infrastructure? Now, look at somebody like Intel. And we own Intel, and I have definitely gotten the earful from, you know, primarily Jeff. I know, Joe, you've said a few things about Intel. But here's the one thing about Intel. They are building a semiconductor factory here in the United States to prepare for the future. They're thinking much further down the road to avoid this problem in the future. And so we have to start as a country readjusting our supply chains and bringing more manufacturing back here in the States or moving more manufacturing to Mexico. But I think, Jeff, to your point, we have to just get used to living with COVID. And, and God bless any listener who's been affected by it personally, their family, a loved one. You know, our, our hearts go out. Unfortunately, we still don't know what the new normal is, but we've got to get back to some type of normal life because this inflation, the, the, the Fed, they can raise interest rates as far as they want to. But like Joe alluded to in the last segment, I don't think, you know, this isn't a situation. We don't have inflation because we have households across this country borrowing at breakneck speed and spending loaned money, borrowed money. That's not what's going on. In fact, household debt is right around 2.2%. It's supply chain and lack of labor. That's really what it is. That's what it is. And so honestly, and this is, we'll talk more. The Fed can't do anything about that. That's no, right. They've, they've, they've used the tools in their toolbox. They've they don't have the tools. They can do. And, that's, and that's the whole thing. And so here's where the debate comes up. Is the Fed raising rates two, three, four times going to be doing anything for inflation? And my response to that is really no. I don't think it's going to have much of an effect because if you've got banks parking almost $2 trillion in overnight repos. This is excess loan reserves they have. They don't have customers borrowing at the pace they did earlier in this century. So if you're a bank and you're not having any customers borrowing money, regardless of what the interest rate environment is, you have to find a place to park that money overnight to make a little bit of interest. And so when you're seeing almost $2 trillion parked nightly, that's telling me that banks are flush with loan reserves that they're not lending out. So regardless of what the interest rate environment is, the U.S. consumer is not going and borrowing. So no matter what they do on a mon- from a monetary policy standpoint, that's not going to be affecting inflation because this is a supply chain. This is a supply chain issue. Not, not, you know, the demand is, I would say, kind of at a normal demand level. It's just we don't have the supply to meet just the regular average size demand. And the Fed doesn't have tools to combat that. And I think they're going to learn that as we get further into 2022. I do have something I want to say. Did I just drop that. the mic and you got no, nothing no. to say? That's... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Coming, baby. I got plenty to say, but you're going to have to wait until okay. after the break. All right. So let's take our next commercial break. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise, guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. 
or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us a message or send us an email and a message, you can email us at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast or Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in, just to catch you up, conversation we were having before the last break, and I know, Jeff, you wanted to add to my point or counterpoint as we, as you normally do as my big brother. I was just making the point that even in the with the Fed raising interest rates and having a more hawkish monetary policy, the inflation that we're seeing isn't from a loose credit, consumer-driven, from borrowing money from banks type inflation. We have inflation because of supply chain issues that's driven primarily from the global pandemic we've been dealing with going back to March of last year. So I, I hope what you're not saying by 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 saying that the Federal Reserve's toolbox can't solve any of those things is you're not advocating the Fed do nothing, right? Um, because, I, I, because by raising rates, they're not going to to cause more people to get vaccinated or cause COVID to, to, to be, they're not going to help the supply chain, not going to help the supply chain, but you're, so you, but I want to make sure you're not advocating. They don't do anything about interest rates. Well, they should, they they needed, they needed to stop the, the, the bond buying a long time ago. They should have been out there buying bonds. They should have been putting any more. We're Monday morning. We always Monday morning quarterback the fed when they do this. Easy to do. It's easy to do. Everybody's doing it right now. Yeah. Because, yeah, everybody's and, and and when we get to our next recession, that will happen because that's just the nature of capitalism. <clears throat> they'll say it was Fed induced. That's because they didn't do this and didn't do that. Uh, in between two thousand and five and two thousand and six, the end of two thousand and six, with two different Fed governors, mind you, the Federal Reserve embarked on twelve straight interest rate increases of one quarter percent each time, taking the Fed funds rate from two and a half to five and a quarter percent at the end of two thousand and six. And during that time period, the first year, which contained eight interest rate increases of one quarter of one percent, two thousand and five, the S and P with dividends was up a little less than five percent. Now, if the Federal Reserve came out tomorrow or Monday and said, we believe that it's prudent to raise interest rates by one quarter of a percent eight times during 2022. What do you <laughs> think the market would do? Oh, you know, they wanted to be more, they want to be more, more transparent. And yes. Okay. But, 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 so but that, let me so add, that's not going to happen, but, uh, that, but, but, but so, so you got to imagine that now the next question is going to be, well, how many people were managing money now were, that were managing money in 2005 and 2006. That was 15, 16, 17 years ago. You know, well, I, I know one firm. Now the, now the, they're, now they're, the, they're speaking you, right now. What, what happens now is, oh, we're going to raise interest rates. Oh, we're going uh, uh, we're to we're taper our bond purge, or we're going to let our balance sheet run off. Shazam, it's minus 300 points. Shazam, it's minus 500 points. This goes on for a period of time, and then the market gets the heck over it. And they get the heck over it 
probably after the first two increases, which means the first six months of this year are going to look just like January, in my opinion. Well, it's going to be it's going to be plus or minus two hundred points every single day, sometimes intraday, because it's been so long since we've had an interest rate increase. Traders going to trade, the machines are going to run wild, and at the end of it, what's the advice that we've got to give everyone? Well, number one. Right off the bat, you got to be out of your long maturity bond mutual funds. You got to be out of your intermediate maturity bond mutual funds. And you better be in some kind of bond mutual fund that's short, meaning short maturities. And if you're in a, if you're in one of those target date funds that are out 2040, 2050, they're going to get hit on the bond side and it's going to affect your performance. So be prepared. You know, you're not going to get these double-digit performances in these target date, these long maturity target date funds, because of the bond portion of the portfolio. Because these guys aren't going to go out there and change their bond portfolios to shorter maturities. So those, those, those. What's going to be interesting about this year is those target date funds, which are, you know, a lot of 401ks have them. It's probably it's the go-to place in 401ks. These longer mature, these 20, 40, 50 target date funds are going to underperform the shorter duration, the, you know, the 20, the 2020s, the 2010s, the 2025s, they're going to, those are going to outperform the longer ones for the first time in a a while. Can I just say, can I, let me just say this and where, where again, I think we're all in agreement where the 10 year treasury is going to be, but we know investors drive that interest rate on the 10 year treasury. We all agreed at two and a quarter percent. Do I think the Fed do I think the Fed is going to raise rates four times this year? No, I don't, because I think the economy is weaker. Now, you know, again, I think GDP growth is much weaker than what inflation is showing, because if you look through the third quarter of this past year, the economy only grew at eight tenths of a percent. So the Fed has to be very careful not to push us into a recession because I think GDP growth is not as strong as we think. And I think some people are getting confused. They're confusing inflation with GDP growth. And so the Fed can't get too aggressive from a rate standpoint when we have these issues, I think we're going to continue to see. So that, that means that the economy can definitely heat up. And we could see further GDP growth, but that Fed, I mean, but the GDP growth is going to have to come from an improvement of the supply chain. And I don't know when that is going to occur because we're still dealing with this new variant and what is going to be the new variant. And then the new variant after that, and how is the market, how are policymakers, how are state governors going to respond to that? Are we going to lock down or are we going to say, you know what, we got to eventually live with this and we're going to have to get back to some type of normalcy at some point in time. Well, getting back to Jeff's point about rates and raising rates and say we all agree that 10 years at two and a quarter at the end of the year. And I said, Tina, and you know, we there is no alternative. But at the end of the day, when we get done with these rate hikes and say the junior treasury is two and a quarter, what are you going to do? Well, this is the reason this is this is the reason why I brought up the point that going back to 1962, three months after the first rate hike, the S&P 500 has been negative. But 12 months past the first rate hike 
it has been positive almost 90% of the time with a double digit average return going back to 1962. So this all comes down to keeping your emotions in check, taking a long-term perspective with your investments and just being at peace with that longer term vision and having it properly diversified, actively managed, tactically balanced portfolio. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back from the news, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise, guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And... There was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, uh, really how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we've found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. More than six now. Well, yeah, really going back to the Great Recession, which ended... And just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of 2009, or excuse me, June of 2009. That March was the, March 2009 was the proverbial generational low of the stock market, but the recession ended in June of 2009, although I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too long ago in May that stated that, what was it, 60 or 70 percent of the... I think it was more than 60 percent of the respondents believe we're still in a recession. And we're not. We're not in a recession, just but to reiterate that. they personally may feel, feel as if they are, and that's, that's part right. of what drives articles like this. Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas, Dallas Morning, Morning News. Dallas Morning News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that, you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article, if I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would 
I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the 80s were the golden age of retirement. Pensions were were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next 30 years than in the last 30 years. The returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past. Many provided a yield of 4%. And the long-term average yield has been about 3%. Today's stock yields are lower than 2%. The same thing happened to bonds. While you could typically rely on U.S. Treasuries to yield about 5% in the past, the current yield on the 10-year Treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in in the long term in the long term past might now expect be expected to return 6% meaning that a 30 year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market but here's you know here's some things that I'd want to I'd want to say well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me, Go ahead. Let me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980, you're probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I, I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then inflate the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of all shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20 percent in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of 1987 would have been the golden (laughs) age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time. And I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably, and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and the we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then. We did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today. So it was not the golden age of retirement. Retirement is retirement. You are only going to retire once. You can't go back and say, hey, I wish I'd have retired. 
just to show you how silly that statement really is, I know that uh, when I worked for Central Power and Light in the early 70s, they told me that my retirement, when if I stayed until I was 65, they projected that I would be getting $22,000 a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no, I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on $22,000 a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And, and, and that's and that's the one thing that I would, I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article is that everything is relative in its specific time. Yes. Everything that's is relative. What I'm exactly. When when you were at CPNL way back in the early seventies, making twenty two thousand a year, you're thinking, "Wow, back no, then." No, no, I was just trying to make ten. No, 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 no. I'm saying, as far as retirement, yes. you're thinking to yourself, "Wow." Wow. I mean, I'd be on Easy Street. Wow. Exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of retirement of retirement thirty years ago. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors. Thirty years ago, sure, ten-year Treasuries were paying twelve, thirteen, you know, percent, fourteen percent. But where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and again talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, low returns take high toll on retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article, how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury, but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds? So you were actually getting a net negative return. Remember the net 18%, of inflation, eighteen percent car loan. Yeah, exactly. I had on an Eighty-two citation. Exactly. You know, double-digit mortgage rates. So again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation? You know what? What was the actual net return was, after you take this out? Negative. It was negative. So if you look today, and, and we know that everyone's inflationary rate is different. It's the same. Tr- it's the it's a true statement today, as it was thirty years ago, as it was fifty years ago. Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So 
the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement. But I would say back then, inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And and even though we have, let's say, a 2.3% 10-year treasury, based on the governmental statistic of 2% inflation, you're actually net positive, net of inflation. Which wasn't the true any time in the, That's right. the late 70s or 80s. Now, one other point I totally forgot is that there was no 401k plans in the 60s and 70s. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL, you left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street, every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan defined was Defined benefit, yeah. You got nothing. Nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401K was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401K that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today as as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401k with them, not borrow against it, and continue to keep their funds, their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. And, and, and because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You had which, to stay. Which you could do. Yeah. Now, now, today what you will find, at least this is what I find, People my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement. So they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that. And so... But but you know what they get though, Dad? Now with TRS, they can do external saving through payroll deductions into four hundred three bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement. Do, I hope they're doing that. Well, one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional. So the pension. funny thing today, what I would say to Scott, there's Burns, more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the seventies, sixties, and eighties, unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were. They would be more then than today. But it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again, if if a worker has saved, whoever he works for, through the 401k plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, 
the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes. But again, when when you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made, it wasn't really any different than what no, it is today. <laughs> and, just... in fact, and in fact, we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a 2% inflationary rate and you can get 2.3% in a 10-year treasury, you're actually net three-tenths of 1% what? positive above inflation. Where back in the 80s, you weren't. So he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market. Well, where was monetary inflation? Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And, and the other t- the other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before we were commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a 100% survival rate. It has you a survival it, rate. You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not going to go to zero, but, but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out, to start what I call do financial road mapping, where and this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is you know getting an an idea of what your expenses are going to be and and really the expenses need to be relative close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time. And you have more time to travel, more time to do things and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need 70 to 80% of your current income, current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need 100%, if not a little bit more, because you have more time. Unless you're going to be... Ex- extremely frugal. And, and, and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB&J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, you PB&J. Had, sorry. Yeah, you had me going there. I heard you caught on the PB&J. I was trying to figure out what, what Yeah, PB&J. you're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses. And if they're not matching up, I mean, if you're having to pull 8, 9, 10, 11%, it's not going to survive. No, it's I not going to survive. I, I can assure you there of that. There is no money manager that's, that's going to be, be able to do that. Be able to do that. And not do it prudently. I mean, if they're going to go, you go with 100% stocks, uh, you want not- not always. You can't do that. Not even 100% stock. And, and, and no, again, I'm saying yeah. to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be 100% stock. And, and, again, that's extremely, extremely dangerous if now you've taken yourself out of the workforce. And so if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing is we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack, 
You have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this, going back to this article, a 30-year portfolio survival rate, because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were 30 years ago, reduces a survival rate from 94% to 77%. Based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let, let's get let, let's get into the nitty gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the 80s. Well, yeah, he's, he, he's, not real rates of return. But he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum, as opposed to being more in relatively speaking. You know, in today's time, it's not. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets: population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know, where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher, but I can't promise you that. I would think well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the Federal Reserve in 10 years. That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of getting back to this low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that Inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um, I mean, again, it's retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only going to retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because... Because dividend yields and interest rates, market returns yeah, are the dividends and interest rates were higher back in the 80s, made it a better time, and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed, yeah, I mean, crushed that point in this article yes. because you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career and, there, or you lose your retirements, and, where today... You can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401k. So the 401k has given employees a lot better upward mobility. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day. Because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter-million-dollars pension I have. I don't want to tell you how many people I talked to, and I'm not singling out CPNL, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days 
you know, had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's yeah, on, the, I, on, they on their did. cubicle wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make. I, I mean, literally, they were in. You know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they. I mean, what could they do? Just think coming up to where you would be funded, where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement. I mean, uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security, and for that you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back then. Yes, I'm just singling out what I observed observed. And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401k, it's it's great and it's given everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career Absolutely. and choosing that career yes. path. So again, that's Scott, not the golden age. That was not that be, the golden age. Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running, when I run hypotheticals doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a 5% return, 6% return, 7% annualized return. I will run it on those numbers. And I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last. But again, even those models are just, it's just math. That is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market. That's why we always preach on this radio show. And again, one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement. You have to stay mobile, nimble, flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on Wall Street, the one guarantee, is change. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it, and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes. Because even, you know, take your portfolio, let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis. You have a family issue. You need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important. And... Over time, as far as valuations are concerned, yes, the regress back. You know, he talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S&P 500 for a 100-year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6, 6.5%. When prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued, are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year Treasury rate, Yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate, is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not. But 
compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott? No way. No way. Because the, there's key no way. Now, the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401k. Has control over the investments. Has control over the investments. Has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from CPNL, from Bayesian Company. If you could take it. If I could have taken it with me. Mm -hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me an annuity. Now, it's a pittance that comes in every month, but it you know that's the only company of all the companies I work for that I get anything because all those years you all worked, those years I worked were lost. We're lost. We're lost. And and you know again, you know there was a point I was going to make and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. <laughs> I'm having a senior moment now. We're well, approaching 40. Well, yeah, that's right. It's 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 not it's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's not it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill, but you know, again, when it when it comes down to your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do. I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we we dealt with now I know for what six I was or say. seven years. Now this year. All of a sudden, we've got this move on. Well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down. Do nothing but indices. Uh, you know, let's let's just turn this money over to this computer, and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You thought of it. Uh, it? It hit me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the '80s: access to information, access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events, either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you yeah well or you, you need to do, go out on your own or you need to go out on your own if you can do it part time and be successful because of the speed of movement but back in the 80s uh, you had the wall street journal no way you didn't have research tools you didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today and if you wanted access to that technical data how much would that cost i mean lots a lot of money. of money lots of money nowadays you can go to bigcharts.com you can go to morningstar i mean there is a treasure trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own monte carlo analysis your own backdated and testing of portfolios you could 
free. All these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the main Conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it <laughs> because 10 analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating kind of commissions we were generating yeah so did we have inside information no but we had information first we were one of the original calls mm-hmm. they called you guys first we with got information. because because we generated commissions for them yeah well and that's when yeah. you were managing pension assets yes. so and yeah. trust assets so again with today's technology there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors but as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or a Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I, I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to to working nine to five and and not taking into account where inflation was. And, and, And again, to say that the 80s was the golden age or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now. I think interest rates are going to be higher. Uh, I can't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s averages around 4% is around 4%, and right now we're right at two one between 1.8% and 2% according to the government. And again, I don't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone, again, everyone's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer, hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago are, are, have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace 
of future developments because of technology, we've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies. And we've gone from being on an island maybe by ourselves back in the 80s. I mean, Dad, I was a little boy. You'd have to tell me if the U.S. I mean, we're always going to be the number one superpower. But from an economic standpoint, was it kind of the U.S. and everybody else? Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we, we seems to, you know, we still always seem to be the head of the dog, so to speak. And so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger and it becoming a world economy. Well, in the 80s, you know, Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want to make sure. And so, as I said, I look at China differently. Because of your age. Because uh, of your age. Because of my age in the Korean War, the fact that was the first thing I can remember. So they were the enemy. So nothing has changed. You know, I, I don't trust them, never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese, rightfully so. Think about it. I know. So, so you can understand in the 80s, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing. There's more flexibility. There are very, vast more choices today of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. Not including products. Different products and way investments you know, are packaged. And, and the only thing that's the same today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy, not necessarily what the client should be buying or what they need or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product, not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years. And being sold at the pace that it's yes. being sold. So all things will change. I, you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities. With commodity prices down as low as they are, you know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years, investing in real things as far as commodities, to me, would look like a good thing. But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, your lifestyle, or you're going to have to work longer and save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone. And so you have to maintain that flexibility. 
you have to maintain active management, active oversight of the portfolio, as we have always preached going on almost 10 years on the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. You, you have to be in a balanced portfolio. And balanced means different things at different parts in the market, at different times in the market cycle. Right now, 60-40. Could be 50-50. Could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today is totally different than what the balanced portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll be the same in the future too, Dad. But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right, and 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 again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We will talk to you next week.